Hi, I'm Tom Doyle. And I'm Joanne Doyle, and this is Good News from the Middle East. Where we hope to bring you a little bit of information, a ton of inspiration, and a challenge for your daily life. And so today, Joanne, we're going to be talking about the spiritual holidays and the feasts that are happening right now in this month of May. And uh, what do we talk about first today? Well, we are in the middle of Ramadan for Muslims. It's been going on for the last 30 days. In fact, today is day, gosh, I can't remember if it's day 29 or day 30. Um, That's bad. I should know that by heart. But um, they are ready to end their fast, and e- each evening they have what they have an, what they call an iftar meal, and then on um, today or tomorrow, the 23rd or the 24th, depending on when the crescent moon is spotted, they will have what's called Eid al-Fitr, which of course that's the American way of saying it, but this is a celebration that begins either today or tomorrow at sundown, and they celebrate that they have victoriously completed the Ramadan fast. As I said, it goes on for three days it's a kind of a high celebration they have special foods they give gifts to one another um, they have new clothes that they wear it kind of has almost the feel of what we would have at christmas and i'm amazed that you pronounced that right how many times did you have to practice <laughs> no, doing right? that let me hear you say it again yeah eat eat el fita you got and it I don't That's think good. i said it right if you know arabic you may be going oh my gosh you totally that was messed terrible. that up it was horrible <laughs> yeah but we tried so thank That's you right. joanne but before that, during this last week, this is really the pinnacle That's right. of Ramadan. And this is what everything is being aimed at and shot for. And so about a week ago, there was the Night of Power. And you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. That was on May 19th. And that is the night that Muslims believe that the Quran was sent from the seventh heaven down to the first heaven. And then Muhammad, their prophet, supposedly received the first part of that revelation that continued progressively over the next 23 years. So on that night of power, Muslims feel like their prayers are worth so much more than they are at any other time of the year. They, Many of them stay up all night, the men in the mosques, reading the Quran all day long. Um, even the, the Sunni Muslims, no, excuse me, the Shiite Muslims, sometimes even put the Quran on their head mm-hmm. to you know to honor the, their holy their holy pages. Um, But during that time, we have found through years of ministry that that is the time that Jesus visits Muslims in their dreams more often than any other day of the year. So because they are asking for dreams and revelation, just as their prophet Muhammad had, Jesus is the one that answers that prayer. Allah does not, but Jesus does. And he appears to them in their dreams. He does miracles. All sorts of incredible things happen on the night of power. It's just a beautiful thing that our Jesus comes to them in their context. They're searching, they're looking for a connection to God. Many Muslims that you and I know throughout the Middle East and here in America will claim later once they've come to faith in Christ, there was a very empty feeling after Ramadan. And it started with the night of power. God, speak to me, reveal yourself to me. And nothing happened, nothing happened. And they kept expecting God to come. But yet, many Muslims that come to faith in Christ say, all of a sudden, as they were crying out to God, God, who are you? Make yourself known. Jesus made himself known. And so God in the flesh came to them as Jesus. And of course, he tells them he loves them. Mm -hmm. He tells them he died for their sins. And they're changed. They want to have another encounter 
with Jesus. It's a high-definition dream that they can't shake. So I, I know that we meet people that say, boy, I had wild dreams last night, or what did mm-hmm. I eat? But these are profound dreams that are really engraved in their mind, and they right. cannot shake for the rest of their life. Like our friend that we met in Dallas that said she'd been having dreams of Jesus for over 30 years. Right. And just waiting for someone to explain it. So so this is a big time for Muslims as we're coming to the end of Ramadan and the real uh, pinnacle, the climax of the the spiritual month for them uh, starts with the night of power, the night of destiny, crying out to God, and then it ends with the celebration of the breaking of the fast. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of this uh program today, what we want to do is have our dear friend, who is a former Muslim from Saudi Arabia, come and share and pray for Muslims globally as they are concluding this holy month of fasting and seeking God. Al-Fadi is the president of Sira International, and uh, he's like a Nabil Qureshi. Mm-hmm. He, he knows Islam inside out. Jesus saved him radically, and now He dialogues, gets into conversations with Muslims to shine the light on Jesus and tell them what he's done for us. So so we'll be concluding with that at the end of our program. So that's it with Islam. But isn't that interesting, Joanne, that Islam has so many links to the Jewish faith? Uh, They would never claim that. They would never want to say that publicly. But we have a spiritual holiday coming up at the end of the month on May 31st. And it is called Pentecost. That's the Christian name that we call it, but Jews call it Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. And that is when Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai. And so it was one of the three holy pilgrimages for Jews, as they would come to Jerusalem and be there for the Feast of Weeks and commemorate what happened when God gave the law to Moses, to the people. Now, what does that sound like? Muslims are celebrating right now that this is supposedly the night where Allah gave the Quran to Muhammad. Right. So we see a lot of things that probably in the long run were kind of borrowed from Judaism and copied. And we can see, to me, how I see it in a spiritual realm is that we see how Satan counterfeits. He takes a little bit of truth and then he twists it to write his own narrative. And that's what I see when I look at any false religion, whether it's Islam or anything else. If it's not about Jesus, if it's not about God's word, and if it doesn't line up uh, with the the pages of scripture, then it's a cult. And gosh, I I may be kind of stepping on someone's toes here, but um, that is exactly what you said, Tom, is that um, a little bit of truth with with the whole thing with the um, Quran being given to Muslims during Ramadan is a picture, a, a distorted picture yes. of what God gave Moses, which is the truth. That's right. And so as believers, we remember uh, Acts 2 and the arrival of the Spirit of God. And remember, Jesus told the disciples to stay there and wait until the power came from on high. And boy, did it ever. That's right. In Acts 2. And you know, we've been there on the southern steps many times, Joanne, in uh, Jerusalem and reading the passage from Acts 2. And so initially it started in a house, but soon in the narrative in Acts 2, there are thousands of people there. So there's no house in Jerusalem that would have fit that many people. So it's moved to an area that was open. The most open area in that time was at the southern steps which most theologians and Bible teachers say were the teaching steps of Jesus that last week of his life. And so we know what happened. The Spirit of God came, 
And there were Jews from every single country mm. around the world. And the Spirit of God came, and the disciples began speaking in other tongues, and the people were amazed that they could understand them. These are uneducated fishermen from Galilee. How do they know these things? The Spirit of God had come, and Peter, just fresh off a defection mm-hmm. uh, against Jesus, when Jesus is ready to go to the cross and he denies him three times, is filled with the Spirit of God and stands up and says, men of Israel, listen to me. And he preaches a sermon and ties in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He talks about Joel 2, old men will dream dreams and see visions, prophecies, all of this. And 3,000 were saved. And I remember as a young believer reading about Peter's denial of the Lord and then, and then this amazing victorious sermon where the church is born Mm -hmm. in one message, the church begins 3,000 new believers plus the followers of Jesus that were already there. And I remember thinking, what on earth happened to him? He was a failure and now he's the Billy Graham of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, the beginning of the church. And what had happened was the Holy Spirit had come and filled him and the message went out. And I love that God specifically in Acts 2 points out that there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and that it ends with, and Arabs. Mm, And so when we think of the Arabs in the Middle East, Joanne, it's almost as if people have amnesia to the fact that there was a great awakening among the Arabs in the Christian faith before Islam rolled in seven centuries later, right? Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, we hear about the believers in Syria. We hear about the believers all throughout what is now the Middle East areas that are mainly Islamic. They were where the Christ followers were. Another thing I love about that passage, Tom, in Acts 2, is that when um, all the people start speaking in various languages or tongues, it wasn't just random, you know, words words that no one understood, they were speaking the gospel in other people's languages so that all the visitors that were there for Passover, they heard the gospel preached in their native tongue. This was very intentional. It wasn't just you know gibberish being spoken. That's it right. was the word of God proclaimed so that every tribe, tongue, and nation could hear it. That's amazing. And what I love about Acts 2 and when the Spirit descends It is a foreshadowing of heaven. Mm, One day when we gather around the Lamb of God and every tribe, tongue, and people group will meet together. So think about how the nations even began. It starts in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel and they wanted to get to heaven. They wanted a man-made God. God confounds them, gives them languages that separate them. But in Acts 2, it's a fulfillment of the plan of salvation and the languages are erased because the people, the believers can speak in tongues and they can understand Understand each each other. other. And so it brings it back together. But the future fulfillment is when we're going to be in heaven and we'll be around the Lamb of God, the throne of God, worshiping Jesus, every Mm. tribe, tongue, people group. No one will be left out. Visible Mm. representatives of each group. group. And so, Joanne, I have a question for you. Okay. Thinking about this. Yeah. Because we don't see it in the Bible. Are we going to speak Hebrew? Are we going to speak uh, a language that everybody understands? Is that how it's going to be? What what what's your thought on that? Because we know we're going to have full knowledge. Right. Uh, right. First John three two tells us that we'll have we'll be able to see things and understand. What do you think? What what language? That's are we going to that be is a really good question, and it's so funny. Everybody would love it to be the, their heart language, right? 
I have wondered about that, Tom. And and sometimes, you know, this could be so off track, but sometimes I wonder, going back to the Tower of um, Babel, when God split those languages and to separate the people. So then when we come to heaven, does God just kind of, whoop, you know, push it all back together again and all those languages come together? So I guess maybe a better way of saying is when he separated those languages, did he give part of the language they were speaking to this people group and another piece, part of that language to this people group and another part of his, that language to another one? So that it's the language, one language just cut, was just splintered. So when we go to heaven, will it be all put together? Will it be all of the tongues that we know now in the world all combined into one language? I don't know. Well, that's a good one thought. One day we'll so find it out. it could be that we're part of a composite that comes together and we all have a little piece in it. I don't know. Bible teachers call that an argument from silence. From silence you can't right. prove it one way or another. You know, and another picture it's not of it really specifically addressed. Exactly, in it's not at all addressed. One another visual picture that I have is the Earth. If we took all the oceans and rivers out and put the Earth together, it would all come together as one body of land. It's the water that has separated our Earth, which is why Revelation said that the sea will be no more because God is going to unify everything. So, in the same way, was the language like that kind of split up as Earth was. Separated by water, and will one day all come back together again? Mm, I don't know. What a interesting thought. thought, though, huh? It really is. So here we are in this month, the spiritual holidays, the feasts, the festivals. Uh, Islam is concluding Ramadan. Also, uh, uh, Israel, the Jews, are going to uh, celebrate Feast of Shavuot, Feast of Weeks. For Christians, it's it's the Pentecost, fifty days after the resurrection. But as all this is happening. The Middle East is in tough shape. Mm. And when I think about this, Joanne, the very first time that I went to Israel, I was talking with an Israeli official, and I mentioned different groups around the Middle East, and I said, who is your biggest enemy? And each of them that I named, he said, not even close. Syria is the most feared nation mm. in the Middle East. They have the fanaticism. They have the government that absolutely hates us. They lost land to us. In the Six-Day War, they want it back. They are motivated. Syria is big brother in the Middle East, and that's who we watch out for. Now, look at what has happened after this war that has been going on for 10 long mm. years now, this Syrian civil war. Right now, the United Nations just released these statistics, and the number one poorest nation in the entire mm. world right now is sadly the nation of Syria. 82.5%, so that's 83% of the nation of Syria lives under the world poverty level. That is living on less than $2 a day. And you fathom that and think, how could you live on $2 a day? That's the world poverty right. level. It's abysmal when you think about it. The next few countries, Madagascar, Zimbabwe, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Suriname, are in the low 70% of the people are below the world poverty line. 83% of Syrians live under $2 mm, a day or less. And so our heart is there. We have a strong national team with Uncharted that we support and work side by side with. And some of the stories they've been telling us recently have been heartbreaking and then thrilling what we've heard. But recently, uh, just a few months ago, 
uh, before the virus, which it makes it seem like it was about 10 years ago. <laughs> right? But in December, we were privileged to have a little Christmas gift that we gave to orphans in Syria. You want to tell them about it, Joanne, yes. what we were able oh, to do? Gosh, this was sweet. We just actually heard about this yesterday. As Tom said, we gave that gift around Christmas time last year, and I believe it was 400 sets of pajamas to these precious little orphan yep. children in Syria. Well, our national leader was just telling us yesterday, because they are so poor, and um, they have been wearing those pajamas to all of their club meetings. So they um, and our leaders in Syria have started this precious, beautiful ministry to the orphans. And so they come every week for Bible study. They've got hundreds of these kids coming through different, throughout different areas in Syria. Anyway, he was saying that all of these children, a whole bunch of them every week are showing up in those pajamas that we're giving them at Christmas time mm. because it is the best pair of clothes that they own. Oh, heartbreaking. It's just precious and heartbreaking at the same time. And so we were talking yesterday and praying, how can we meet the needs of those children, those orphans? And there they're considered an orphan if either both of their parents have died in the Civil War or if they have lost the father. Because it's very difficult for anyone to get a job now in Syria, but especially for women, and especially if they have children. So children with just a mom are considered orphans too. So we're trying to figure out what is the best practical gift to give them. Um, so that's what we're praying about now. And you know, this is a problem that has almost been non-existent, Joanne, in the Middle East, because um, Arab families tend to be very large. So if parents would die, uh, children would always have relatives or cousins that they could go live with and be raised by. But we're talking about in one city alone, in the city of homes, 800 orphans that are known. There's probably many more, but 800 that some of our leaders are working with in Syria. And that's an enormous number. When you think about it, that means that many of those families were completely wiped out, except the children. Isn't that sad? And another thing that's happening in Syria, they're finding, of course, that so many people have either been displaced from their homes and remain in Syria, like six million, or another five million have been displaced outside of the country. Um, in that group that has left are numerous Christians and then also the middle-aged people, the youth. So our leaders are seeking to pour into the hearts of those young orphan children. They are praying for 70 leaders among the Alawites, among the Druze, and among the Sunni Muslims. And they are praying that God would rise up 70 children to be the future generation that would lead. And those children right now age from two to 17. But that is thinking ahead of time. That is the heart of God in um, thinking forward, praying forward to what God has for this country. And so their prayer and our prayer, and please join us in this, is that from each people group, Sunnis, Alawites, Druze, that 70 children, mainly orphans, would come to faith in Christ, be discipled, and be the future leadership of the church. That next generation and that is forward thinking. And I love totally. the timing of this, Joanne, because the nation itself is in the midst of a physical rebuilding. They haven't even been able to calculate how expensive this is going to be. Mm -hmm. It will be in the billions and billions. Cities just knocked down. Right. 80% uh, of homes, uh, and that's the, the city of homes, not you live in a home, the city of homes leveled it looks like uh, berlin germany mm -hmm. after world war ii but the beautiful thing about this tom is they are building into these children knowing that they will be the future leaders so think about this for a moment they are starting at a young age 
digesting and memorizing God's word. So their whole foundation is going to be solid in the scriptures. And the beautiful thing is that a lot of these kids are already coming to faith in Christ. In fact, our leader was just telling us that this month during Ramadan, they started having, of course, with the COVID, things are different. So they started having gatherings outside of where the church buildings normally were. And because it's Ramadan, and the mothers are not working because of COVID, and because they're fasting because of Ramadan, they're tired, they don't have the energy to take care of their children who are all home. So they were giving them permission, these Muslim children permission to go to this Christian kind of day camp type thing. So these kids for 30 days have been hearing Bible stories and lessons, and they've been um, answering questions, the answers found in God's word. So already God is preparing their hearts. And then the beautiful thing is the moms are starting to catch this fervor and this excitement that their children have. The moms started going and staying. So they actually started a Bible study for these Muslim mothers while their children were in this little day camp, and they were hearing the word of God too. So God is on the move. The, the country may be sadly the poorest country right now, but spiritually it's growing possibly to be the richest country. And the church is really matching, mirroring what's happening in the in the country itself. It is a physical rebuild and it will take decades, but they're in the midst of a spiritual rebuilding in Syria. This is a country that is a part of the Bible, the narrative from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, in Matthew 4, it talks about word spread about Jesus all the way to Syria. They were coming to see Jesus. And so Jesus is now coming to see them. Mm. And we're praying for great things in the future. And as we think of the people groups of the Middle East, I can't think of any better verses than this starting in Romans 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Mm. And so here Amen. we are in this month, spiritual holidays happening for Muslims, for Jews, for Christians in the Middle East. And Jesus is saying, it's not by the law. It's not by your self-effort. It's not going to get you there. It is by my spirit. And so Muslims are ending Ramadan. Uh, Jews are preparing for the Feast of Tabernacles and Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Christians are, meanwhile, going village to village, home to home, sharing the message of Jesus and as we close, Joanne, I can't think of a better way than to have our friend Al Fadi close in prayer and pray for Muslims. He's our friend that's a former Muslim mm -hmm. imam and sharing uh, about what Muslims are thinking about at the end of Ramadan and praying for them. So let's pray with Al Fadi as we close our program today. Yes, and thank you all for joining us. And please enjoy and pray along with Al Fadi. God bless you all. My name is Al-Fadi and I am a former Muslim, but now I am a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
please join me in prayer for my Muslim people as they celebrate Eid al-Fitr at the conclusion of the month of Ramadan. Father, I am thankful that my Muslim people during the month of Ramadan are so open spiritually to get closer to you, Lord, to know more about you. Father, I am praying for my Muslim people who are so devoted to serving you, Lord, during Ramadan and Eid al-Fitr to celebrate with joy the conclusion of their fasting. Father, we pray that this Eid, Eid al-Fitr, Lord, the celebration of this festival that is filled with joy, generosity, and hospitality, and fellowship with others, will be replaced with your joy that is everlasting, with your peace that is overwhelming, Lord, that surpasses all understanding, that they will feel your generosity, that you have forgiven their sin for free, that the load has been removed from their hearts and shoulders, that they will feel the freedom in you, Lord, that they will have an eternal reason to enjoy you and enjoy the presence of our Lord with them and the Holy Spirit in them, that they will have a fellowship not just with one another here, but also they will have that fellowship with the multitudes that will be praising you, Lord, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We pray, Lord, that they will turn their doing and thinking and feeling and seeking and yearning from the wrong direction to you, Lord, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent, so that they will have an eternal reason to celebrate your presence among them, Lord, and the forgiveness of their sin and your generous grace and your hospitality. We pray that they will acknowledge their sin and need for a Savior, that they will seek your forgiveness, and that they will celebrate the fellowship with your Holy Spirit and other believers, Lord. Father, we thank you that you love every single one of my Muslim people in this world. Thank you that you know them by name. And we thank you, Lord, that your desire for all people to be safe and come to a knowledge of the truth includes my Muslim people. Thank you for pursuing them, Lord, and thank you that they will be part of the multitudes, that they will celebrate praising you and worshiping in heaven, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name.